Stubborn candle, stubborn microphone, come on. The children are dismissed for Children's Church. You can go for, man, you're very bright out there, Crystal. Ages two to six, there you go. How many of you remember, by a show of hands, how many of you remember falling in love? Oh, yeah, okay, good. I was hoping at least some of you would raise your hand. I'd be a little worried if you hadn't. I, I, you know, I have, to be, I have to be a little careful when I say that because, honestly, I don't really believe that falling in love is exactly the best way to describe it. And, and along the same lines, I think this whole love at first sight thing that is often used in romantic comedies has been quite harmful, actually, to the way our society prepares our young people uh, specifically for, for dating relationships and eventual marriage, um, and especially when it comes to creating expectations for what true love is and what it isn't. And if you've ever talked with me about dating and relationships uh, before, I, I'm likely to have told you that love at first sight or the idea of falling in and falling out of love is a dangerous one because it boils love down to simple emotions and urges. Um, when I believe the Bible teaches that true love is far deeper. It involves choice. It involves commitment. It involves sacrifice. And, and is a whole lot more than the simple infatuation uh, that is often called love these days. But, now that you know my opinion on all that, all that being said, I do remember falling in love, for lack of a better term. You know the beginnings of new love. It's sort of a strange thing, isn't it? How, how suddenly you find yourself drawn to this other person. Like, like you just want to be near them all the time. And, and you do strange things. I mean, I can't speak for the ladies, but us guys, we can get a little weird when we're in love. Trust me, I know. I've been doing senior youth ministry for eight and a half years. And let me tell you, I've seen some pretty strange behavior. But, but hey, I've been there. I, I know what it's like. I don't, I don't hold it against them. Alyssa went to uh, the REMC for their Christmas program, so um, I haven't actually told her any of the things that I'm going to say here, so you guys have to keep it all hush-hush, because all of a sudden she's going to realize what a dork she actually married, but <laughs> I remember when I first started falling for Alyssa, uh, we, we both signed up to be part of this uh, chapel band at SBC, and, and man, when I heard her sing, it was, it was literally the most beautiful sound I'd ever heard, but that was just the start. I remember we had to uh, create a repertoire of songs that we were going to learn as a band. And, and since Alyssa and I were the lead singers, we, we had to have uh, a planning meeting. And, and, you know, I don't think it should have taken too terribly long to pick songs. But I remember sitting in the alcove uh, at SBC talking and sharing songs we liked, listening to music together for hours until, until it was time for lockup. And, and after that, I began to realize that I really liked I really like this girl. And, and shortly thereafter, that's when I found myself doing some strange things. You know, often when a guy is in love, you hear the phrase, he worships the ground she walks on. Well, that's, that's kind of a little bit how it was. If you've been there before, you know what I mean. It's like, I have no reason to be wandering around in the library. Why am I even here? Because honestly, I have all the books I need for the assignment. Also, I don't particularly enjoy reading books. And yet, I'm walking around in here pretending to look for a book. 
in the Christian history section of all places. Why? Well, because maybe she'll be in the library. Maybe she'll be there too, right? Wouldn't that just be a wicked coincidence, you know, because she loves reading books, so. Or, you know, I saw her in the computer lab as I was walking by with a group of my friends earlier, so even though the shortest way to the cafeteria doesn't go near the computer lab, I will go out of my way in the off chance that she's just leaving from there to head for supper at the same time. Oh, if only we could just walk to supper alone together. That could possibly make my whole day. I did stuff like that all the time. I, I would go out of my way to try and make these coincidence meetings or meetups. And, and sometimes, sometimes I'd, go, I'd go out of my way just to be in close proximity. I, w- I, wouldn't eat, you know, I wasn't quite courageous enough to, to you know, go talk, so I would, you know, I would just kind of wander out there, you know, it's aimless, aimlessly. Just as an aside, a uh, uh, top tip for you young men, uh, just make sure that these coincidences aren't too frequent, and also make sure you have some kind of clue as to if the feelings may be mutual, because otherwise this kind of behavior could come off a little bit like a stalker. So just top tip. It's okay. It's okay. The weird behavior is okay. When you're in love, it's, it's all good, but, but you just, you just got to play it cool, right? When you're, when you're in love, though, it doesn't seem so strange. It's not out of the question. To go out of your way for a chance encounter, not when you're convinced, not when you think you found the one. Here's the thing. When you find someone great, you just, you just want to be in their presence. You do strange things. You go out of your way just to see them, just, just to be near them. Maybe you can already see where I'm going with this, but... Uh, I'll take you right there. Let's, let's go to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, starting in verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, and here's an interesting thing I learned. It's apparently not magi, it's magi, which sounds really weird to me, but I, I checked, I did the pronunciation button. But I'm going to say magi because otherwise it's going to be strange. Yeah, Jesse will always correct me on all my pronunciation. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. I don't know about you, but, but growing up, I, I believed a lot of misconceptions about the magi magi. There, there isn't actually a lot of information about them in the Bible. In fact, uh, Matthew is the only gospel that mentions them. And, and their story isn't very detailed or very long. Uh, perhaps that's why over time uh, things have been added and people haven't really taken note that they're not true according to what's written in the Bible. Uh, growing up, I always thought that the shepherds got the call from the angels and then pretty much right after them on their tails, the three the three kings from the Orient came bouncing in on their camels and dropped their gifts right there at the manger. Why would I believe otherwise? Since the pictures and the songs, it all, it all talks about it that way. It points in that direction. But, but it, that's obviously how it happened. But for those of you who think that's how, it, uh, that's how it happened, I, I hate to break it to you, but none of that is even in the Bible. Uh, first of all, there's no evidence that there was three of them uh, besides the fact that there were three gifts. But it never says there were three of them, nor does it give them any names, although apparently in the Catholic 
Catholic, what word was that? Catholic tradition, they have given them names, one of them being Casper, which I found fascinating. Um, and then scholars debate back and forth, but, but most believe that it was more likely a, a larger group. And second, they didn't show up on the same night Christ was born. Uh, they more likely came in the months following, some believing that it was up to two years after Jesus' birth, based on the fact that King Herod uh, tried to kill all the boys in the area up to two years old to try and ensure his continued reign. And third, they weren't kings. Uh, wise men might be a better term, but, but based on the use of the word magi, they were more likely astrologers. Uh, the same description is used throughout the Old Testament in stories uh, like that of King Nebuchadnezzar when he adds Daniel to his group of wise men. Men who look at the stars and signs to, to try and understand the future. Certainly they were rich and important enough that they could enter easily into the presence of King Herod. But calling them kings is based only on the fact that prophecies of Jesus' birth in Isaiah chapter 60 verse 3 talk about kings coming to bow before him. But in Matthew's account, he doesn't call them kings. The truth is, we don't have record of exactly who these men were or even exactly where they came from. Some have debated that they were from Persia. Others have found writings that they would claim may indicate that the Magi came from China along the Silk Road. But where they came from, when they came, who exactly they were, what their names was, or even how many of them there were, isn't really that important. What is important is that they went out of their way just to worship the King of Kings. They were on the lookout. They had been watching the skies. They were waiting for his arrival, and they were not going to miss the chance to be in his presence. You see, when you find someone great, you'll go out of your way to be in their presence. You'll travel great distances and you'll search for them because you don't want to miss being near them. So how much more, when God reveals himself to you, will you go out of your way to be in his presence and worship? That's an issue we, we have sometimes, isn't it? Maybe there was a time in your life when, when you couldn't wait to be in the presence of the one who saved you from your sin. He called you to come. And you responded. That's what we've been talking about. Him calling and our response. You saw the light of the star and you went out of your way just to be with him. But now, perhaps you enter his presence only when it's convenient. You no longer go out of your way, but rather you try to fit worshiping him into the leftovers of your life. I've said it before and, and I'll say it again because it convicts me every single time. Where you spend most of your time and money reveals what or who you really worship. Is what you really worship yourself? Is what you really worship your job, your spouse, your family, your friends, sports, entertainment, social media, video games, vacations? Think about it. What do you really worship? The account of the wise men gives us an example of worship, and that involves pursuing his presence going out of your way to bend the knee and show him that he is worthy of your praise. We don't talk about him a lot, but there's, there's another character in this story. And I'm afraid sometimes when it comes to worship, we play the part of King Herod. 
He knew the prophecy. He knew when the wise men came that the Savior had been born. And what's his response? Let's continue reading in Matthew chapter 2, verse 3. It says, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed. And all Jerusalem with him. When he, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judea. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But we know that he didn't actually want to go worship Jesus. His initial response isn't joy. He's disturbed. And apparently so is the rest of Jerusalem. One would think that the birth of the Messiah would bring joy, but not to Herod. No way. I'm not going to worship. I'm going to kill because this is going to get in the way of my plans. This is going to disrupt my kingdom. Is that who we are? Is that how we are in the worship of the one who died to save us from our sins? Rather than pursuing being in his presence, we sabotage or we kill those plans. Perhaps by staying up too late, binge watching the latest form of self-gratification. It's hard to spend time in his presence when we have so many episodes that we have to catch up on, right? Maybe we even come on a Sunday morning, but in our hearts, in our heart of hearts, we never bow. We never surrender ourselves in worship. Because that could cost us this little kingdom that we've built for ourselves. The control that we feel we have over our own lives. But that's not the example we get from the wise men. No, they travel far, bringing valuable gifts for the king. Let's continue reading the account, starting at verse 9. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw this star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice it says house, not stable. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So if we are to follow the example of the, of the Magi, what kind of gifts are we to bring before our king? It would seem as though worship involves pursuing his presence, bearing presence. Thanks. But what kind of gift do we have to offer our king? Paul offers up an interesting perspective when he confronts the philosophers of Athens in regards to their worship of the unknown God. In Acts 17 verse 24, in his address to the people of Athens, he says, he says this. Acts chapter 17 verse 24. 
The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. There it is. Paul explains that God really doesn't need anything from us. Right? He's not served by human hands as if he needed us. No, God is the one who gives and gives freely. So what can we give to a God who has it all? At Country Graphics, I, I often have the opportunity to design invitations. And usually when I'm designing an invitation for a 50th wedding anniversary or a mature adult's 60th birthday or something similar, I'll be asked to add the line, where I got my fantastic pun from, your presence is presence enough. Likely you've all seen that before. Basically, it's a polite way of saying, hey, we don't need anything. All we really want is for you to be there. You know, I know the wise men brought gifts, but I think I'm not stretching it when I say, when it comes to worship, the most valuable thing we can give God that glorifies his name is our hearts. It's us. It's our presence with him that he desires because that's what brings him all the glory and honor and praise. It's the relationship that he's after. It's why he came down to be born in the manger and ultimately die on the cross to pay for our sins. It's so we can enter his presence freely. That's what he wants. We will never be able to do enough or give enough or be holy enough to pay him back or earn what he's already freely given to us. He invites us, and once we've received that invitation, how he desires for us to enter his presence and experience his grace. Don't get me wrong. I believe that giving is a powerful way that we can worship God, that we can act out our faith. But it needs to flow out of our hearts in response to his call and in response to the unfathomable grace that he has poured out on us. And, and when we give, we, we must always know that we're only giving back what he's already given to us. What kind of a gift is one that's given out of obligation? The wise men brought gifts suitable for an earthly king. When we enter his presence in worship with our whole hearts in complete surrender, we bring a gift that is suitable for the eternal king. I may have mentioned it before, but I have a little pet peeve. With the overuse of Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 11. I'm sorry for those of you whose favorite verse it is. It's just one of those things. So often Christians quote it, claiming the promise of a plan to prosper as though they are living in exile like the Israelites, which most of the time they're not even experiencing those kind of difficulties. And to me, the verses following 
hold, hold much more value because they turn, the, they turn the focus from selfish desire for prosperity to what it's really about. Let me read it for you in entirety. If you want favorite verses, I recommend expanding them. Jeremiah 29, 11 to 13. It says this. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you, will call, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That is worship. That's what it's all about. Yes, we can cling to God's promise to be good to us, giving us hope and future, but if that's all we're after, then we're missing the point. It seems a little selfish if we're only in it for our own future. Because once he's called us and brought us out of our ex exile in sin, that's the parallel, it's all about pursuing his presence. Like the wise men, we must go the distance in search of our Savior. And as he promises in Jeremiah, we will find him when our whole heart is in it. Because that's, that's what he wants. So, this Christmas, as you see the nativity scene with the wise men, who were obviously not there that night, let it remind you to bow down and worship in his presence. Let it cause you to search and pursue more and more of his presence in your life, and let it remind you to give him the gift deserving of an eternal king your whole heart. Amen.